Today's episode features Barry Scott, and it's called My Story, having been recorded on February 6th, 2020. I'm your host, Chad Harrington, and this is the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. The New Canaan Society in Franklin, Tennessee is a group of men who encourage each other in friendship and in faith, and to be better men. Friendship at NCS happens through our meetings in chapters all across the country, The Franklin Chapter meets the first and third Thursday morning each month at Puckett's Grocery in downtown Franklin. Before we get to Barry's talk, I want to tell you about an online video series and book study. Barry's going to share about his story. We've all got a story. And those stories are important to tell and for others to hear. And that's what John Mark Hicks teaches and models in his video course and book called Anchors for the Soul about trusting God through the grief and suffering in life. John Mark lost his wife when he was a young man, then his son who passed at the age of 16 years old. NCS and friends can experience his story online through a free video course. Take a group of guys through the series with you. It's a great way to connect online, and the video course is available, as I mentioned, to NCS and friends for free when you buy the book. So visit HIM publications.com slash NCS to learn more and to sign up for this special offer. That's himpublications.com slash NCS. And now for today's episode featuring Barry Scott called My Story. Barry loves Jesus and is an expert on the teachings of Martin Luther King Jr., which comes up in this episode. So take a listen. First time you've ever come to this. Is there any? One, two, three, four. Yeah. That is so cool. Well, we hope you are enjoying it and feel welcome here because you certainly are. And uh, this, is, this has been a, a great experience over the last several years now of getting to know guys across the table from us beyond, as Wes would like to say, beyond sports, uh, weather, and your jobs, which is what we mostly talk about, isn't it? But uh, we've gotten past that with a lot of guys, and, and I hope you feel welcome enough to come back and be part of this on a regular basis. And if you're really interested, I have a way for you to do just that. I have the email list here. I'm going to ask you to send it kind of back that way. We've got a couple guys over here. Um, get on the mailing list. We send out two or three emails a month that just basically tell you what's coming up at the next meeting, which are the first and third Thursdays of the month. So be sure you get your name on that so that we can welcome you back again in a couple of weeks. Um, I want to welcome everybody here by bringing the, the, the presence of the Lord, which is already here, but I thought we'd invite him formally if you would join with me in a, in a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for these gentlemen. I thank you for all of us able to get out here on a, on a nasty, wet morning with slippery roads and all of that in the dark, just to be here in your presence and in each other's presence. I pray that you strengthen bonds today. I pray that you be with our speaker and allow him to to minister to us in a way only he can because you've ordained him to do so. And I pray that each one of us would walk out of here a a little stronger in our faith and a little stronger in our commitment to to, to love one another as you have loved us. And we, we ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, our speaker will be up here in a few moments as soon as we figure out which one, which Worthy gentleman is going to be here to introduce him, but I just thought we'd get off to a good start this morning. One more reminder, did you enjoy breakfast? Can you find a breakfast like that for five bucks any place? 
So with that extra few bucks that you have in your pocket that you would have spent on the meal, make sure you get the wait staff, uh, the people that have been working hard since well before dawn to help you out this morning. Make sure you're generous with your, with your t- um, I was going to say your tithes, but I guess it's a tithe would only be 50 cents. So can we bump up more than a tithe, okay? Be generous. Thanks. Good morning, again. Last summer, we had an actor named um, Chip Arnold. He spoke to us. Chip is a dear brother and uh, has acted in many, many uh, productions here. And he said said to me, I'd like you to meet Barry Scott. Barry Scott is one of my closest friends and dearest friends and one of the best actors in Nashville. So I met Barry, and he's a wonderful person. And you're going to get to meet Barry, too. Now, Chip may show up. Chip, when he came here, he lives in Portland. And if you know where Portland is, that's way up there, halfway to Kentucky. So he was going to come down and introduce Barry today. But coming down to Nashville from Portland, you can get tra- caught in traffic. And he's on his way, but he's caught in traffic. So we'll welcome Chip if he comes. But Barry, I'd love you to come on up and just tell, you, tell us a little bit about your story, about your love for Jesus. And Barry is one of the world's best um, presenters of the uh, teachings of Martin Luther King, Jr. So he's going to do that a little bit for I'm not going to tell you what you're going to do. Just Barry... Let's enjoy it. Thank you, my friend. Good to have you. There's a lot of men in here. Wow. How you guys doing? It's so good to see so many men together who didn't have their arm twisted to get in one place so early in the morning. Obviously, you're doing something right. And you know, I believe there is no such thing as a coincidence. What we consider coincidences are divine masterpieces in heaven. So if you met somebody today for the first time, it was not a coincidence. You may not know what that's supposed to lead to, but God does. He understands and has purpose for something beyond our understanding. His ways are not our ways. His mind is not our mind. So I'm so grateful to be here today. Grateful. Sitting at a table, met Ken McKee. Feel like old friends now. And I heard someone talk about living a good life. Living well, I think is what it was. What does it mean to live well? Are you living well? What does that really mean? I want to share something with you, if I may. Technology. Ah, ah. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. 
Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. That's from Psalm 16, 8, and 9. Um, I guess I'm here to tell you a little bit about my story. I love words. Words matter. They really mean something. And, and not just the words themselves, but how you say the words. You know, like when your mother calls you, she says, Barry, or Barry, or Barry. <laughs> words matter. Words gave me context to feel good about myself. And that was hard to do when you were busy growing up colored. Colored. That's what it said on my birth certificate. And that's how I remember it. I remember one, one afternoon my father came home. He was a school teacher. He had this 16 millimeter film projector. Martin Luther King Jr. had just been assassinated. My father, being a school teacher, wanted to put into context Martin's living and not just this, this brutal assassination. <laughs> it was quite the event. He had this projector and he took this film and he, he carefully threaded it through these silver guides. He had gathered the whole family into the living room and he flipped the silver switch. And on the living room wall was Martin Luther King Jr. delivering his I Have a Dream speech. And his words captured me. I remember I was weeping. I don't know why. He sounded to me as if he was singing and not just speaking. And as soon as he finished, I, I leapt to my feet and said, Daddy, please show it again. Show it again, Dad. And, and my, my father, he said, okay. But my brothers and sisters, they complained because it was a long speech. They wanted to watch television. They wanted to watch Rin Tin Tin, uh, my friend Flicka. Um, and you know all these stories. I, I mean, <laughs> you know what these are. TV shows in the 1960s. It was Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color. It was a Sunday. My father took me into my bedroom and showed me how to thread the projector for myself. And I remember that night watching Martin Luther King Jr. deliver this speech. I watched it over and over and over. I wanted to be him. I wanted my hands to move the way his hands moved. I wanted my voice to sound like his voice. At one point, I was standing and bouncing up and down in my bed, wearing nothing but my underwear and, and shouting at the top of my lungs, I have a dream. I guess I was too loud because the uh, bedroom door opened up and my mother and father came into the room. I flopped down on the bed. My father, he put his big hands on my shoulders. He said, son. <laughs> he had that Mustafa kind of voice. <laughs> Darth Vader, son. <laughs> he looked me square in my eyes. He said, you sound pretty good. <laughs> and my mother kissed me on the cheek. My father said, one day, son, we'll have you deliver that speech for Kane Avenue Missionary Baptist Church. When my father was the chairman of the deacon board, Sunday school superintendent, and church custodian, I went to bed that night feeling really, really good about myself. And that was hard to do when you were busy growing up colored. At least that's how I remember it. And one Sunday morning in February, it happened. My father, he... It was Negro History Week. You know, we didn't have a Black History Month or a King Holiday. It was Negro History Week. 
and my father, in observance of Negro History Week, he woke me up that Sunday morning. He had this typewritten page in his hands. He said, today is the day, son. Today you shall recite the speech, I have a dream. And I looked up in my fog of sleep. I said, I, I, I can't. He said, excuse me. I, I can't. I have a... I have a sore throat. <laughs> I have a sore throat today, Daddy. And, and my stomach hurts. I don't think I can go to church today. My father said, Son, in our household, it is not a democracy. In our household, it is a dictatorship. And you will go forth, and you will deliver the speech, or you will suffer. You will suffer corporal punishment. And so I thought about it, and I said, Okay, I'll take the corporal punishment. He said, Fine, you'll take the corporal punishment, and you will deliver the speech. I remember going before Cane Avenue Missionary Baptist Church that Sunday morning after being thoroughly humiliated by the Reverend Albert G. Jones, who announced to the congregation, Brothers and sisters in Jesus, this Sunday morning, is this on? This Sunday morning, we're going to have something very special. Little brother, uh, little brother, uh, what is his name? Uh, little brother Barry Scott is going to, uh, he is going to, uh, what is he going to do? He's going to do something very special. Little Brother Barry Scott. I remember thinking, Little Brother Barry Scott, I am 12 years old, thank you. And as I approached what we called the pool pit back then, all the little girls in the congregation who I had a crush on, but who would never speak to me or even look at me, were now looking at me, and I was scared. It was the first time I stood before so many people and I began to perspire like I'm perspiring now because I get nervous sometimes and I looked down at the typewritten page and I began to speak the words as fast as I could speak them I was so afraid and as I was speaking the sweat poured profusely off my face onto the typewritten page and and the, the words started to to bleed. So I wiped it and they began to smear and I couldn't make out most of the words so I just said the words I could identify and so you can imagine I was sounding quite ridiculous and I knew I was making a fool of myself and I couldn't wait to get to the end and I got to the end and I went to take my seat, the last seat, the pew on the left and something amazing happened. The entire congregation had risen to their feet and they were applauding me. I was horrible. They were applauding and standing I was so confused. And then Sister Hattie Lawrence, they say she was the oldest member of the church. She was 102 years old, they said. And she had gotten up from her pew on her walker and she walked over to me, blocking my path. She said, son, it's, whoa. Son, it's so good to hear those words again. You keep going, boy. You Don't you stop now. I remember thinking to myself, I would keep going if you would get out of my way. 
I got around Hattie and I sat down in my seat, the last pew on the left. And as I was sitting there, they were still standing. They were still applauding. And the sound of their applause was deafening in my ears. And as I sat there in that pew, I remember feeling so, so good about myself. <laughs> I guarantee you that was hard to do when you were busy growing up colored. At least that's how I remember it. And, uh, and so everyone in Nashville knew that little brother Barry Scott would come to your church. He would come to your school. And he would recite speeches, sermons, letters, excerpts from monologues and interviews of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I gladly did that. But then it happened. It happened. You know, the it that happens that changes your life for the rest of your life. The it that happens, that if it had not happened, the change would not have occurred. I turned 16 years old, and I got a driver's license. And my father agreed to let me go out on a date alone, unchaperoned. I was very excited because it was a very cool car. It was the Pontiac Le Mans. Yeah. <laughs> it was turquoise green yeah it had a black landau top landau yeah that's a half roof for those of you who don't know what landau means and it had gear shift in the floor wood grain panel gear shift in the floor although it wasn't automatic but gear shift in the floor it made a 16 year old boy feel very very cool i had my michael jackson shirt on it was bright hot pink with ruffles and the top of the collar came to above my ears. The bottom of the collar fell to about the middle of my chest. And when I got out of the house, away from the scornful glance of my mother, I unbuttoned that shirt all the way down to my navel. Yeah. I was looking good. My afro was perfectly picked out. And you know, back then people said I looked exactly like Michael Jackson. You know what? I did. This is what Michael was supposed to be looking like. Ha, <laughs> uh, you laugh, but that's true. I felt so good. I looked so good. But I rolled through a puddle of water and the engine flooded out. But I didn't worry about that because my father had had that happen so many times. He would just wait a few moments patiently and then he would pat the accelerator a few times, put the key in the ignition and turn it and it always started on the first try or it always started on the second try and if it didn't start up on the second try, it always started up on the third try and if it didn't start up on the third try, it always the point being, my father never let that particular circumstance deter him and I wasn't about to let it deter me. I was feeling too good. I was looking too good. And as I sat in the car, looking good, feeling good, a car drove up beside me. The sun had gone down. A man got out of the car. And he, he came over to my car. He went into his pocket. He pulled out a gun. He said, nigger, get out of the car. I just sat there with my hands glued to the steering wheel. I was afraid to move. He ordered me to get out of the car again. He hit the glass with the gun hard. I thought it would break, but it didn't. I wanted to comply, but I was too afraid to move. I just gripped the steering wheel looking straight ahead. 
Finally, he went into his free pocket. He pulled out something. He put it on the glass of the window, and I could, I could read what it said in my peripheral vision. It said, Metropolitan Police Department. And boy, was I relieved. It was a police officer. I could move. I could breathe. I could breathe, Larry. I rolled down the window. I said, thank God, officer. I thought you were going to rob me. He said, shut up and get out of the car. I put my hands in the air. I said, my name is William Barry Scott. I live at 2416 White Creek Pike. My phone number is CA80226. My father's name is H.M.S. Scott Sr. My mother's name is Dorothy May Scott. I have a brother named H.M.S. Scott, but he's a junior. And I got another brother named Raymond Randolph Scott and a sister named Doris Ann Scott. I got another sister named Gail Ann Scott. Both of my sisters have a middle name, Anne. I have a dog named Ajax. I go to Kane Avenue Missionary Baptist Church with a Reverend Albert G. Jones. The pastor, my father's name is H.M.S. Scott. My name is William Barry Scott. I live at 24. I told him. I told him everything I knew about myself. And it wasn't very much, so I started repeating. He said, I know who you are. I know your family. And boy, was I relieved. He knows my family. He said, what's your father's name again? I said, H. Emmett Scott. He said, oh, yes, Emmett. He's a drunk, right? I said, no, my, my father's a school teacher. He put the gun to my head. He pressed it. He said, say yes, sir. I said, yes, sir. He said, say my father is a drunk. I said, my father is a drunk. And he praised me for being obedient and asked me my mother's name. Her name is Dorothy, Dorothy May Scott. He said, oh, yes, I know her. She's a whore. But you know that, don't you, boy? Say, yes, sir. I said, no, sir. My mother is a school teacher, too. He pressed the gun harder to my head, and he pulled the hammer back and said, say, yes, sir. I said, yes, sir. Say my mother is a whore. I said, my mother is a whore. He said, why are you crying? Don't you know you people bring all of this on yourselves? Don't you know you people are hurting this country? I'm doing this country a favor by eliminating you. Because if you grow up, you'll become a murderer, a thief. I said, no, sir. I'm a good boy. I won't, I won't be a murderer. I won't be a thief. He said, if you grow up, you'll become one. Say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I have to tell you. I'm not a particular religious person. You could be a religious fool. You could be a religious liar. But what I am is spiritual. I believe in God. And that night I learned that you have to be afraid before you can truly be brave. I learned that night that there is no courage without the presence of fear. And when I got the courage to run, the courage to run because I knew if I ran, the police officer would have to shoot me in my back. And if he shot me in my back, my father would know, my mother would know, my family would know I hadn't done anything wrong. <laughs> and that gave me comfort that I was desperate for. So before I took that first step, something amazing happened. The, the police officer said, I'm going to let you go. And he laughed and he said, but I'll see you again one day and finish the job. And he sauntered away, got into his car and drove off. And I, I was standing there with my hands in the air. I almost fainted because I knew I was supposed to be running and I wasn't. I finally got in the car. I put the key in ignition. I turned it and it started on the first try. I don't remember the name of the girl I was supposed to pick up, but she sure was pretty. I just went home. I drove home very carefully thinking, what am I going to say to my dad because I'm coming home much too early? It didn't matter what I was going to say because as soon as I walked through the threshold of the house, my father said, son, what has happened to you? 
So I told my father what happened, and he gathered the whole family together. And we piled into that Pontiac Le Mans, and we drove downtown to the police department, and we went in holding hands. My father said, son, tell these officers what happened to you. And of course I did. I told the officers what had happened, and when I finished, the whole room erupted into laughter. I remember seeing them laughing and slapping each other on their backs, slapping their thighs, and one officer shoved my father to the floor and said, you get out of here. I looked down at my father laying on the floor, and I realized I brought shame on my family, and perhaps I shouldn't have said anything because the officer didn't hurt me physically. Surely I wasn't the first colored boy to be harassed by the police. My mother reached down and she said, Scott, let's go home. We all walked out of the police department holding hands to the sound of their laughter. All the way home, no one spoke a word. But when we got home, I went into the living room, a room no one was supposed to go into. It was off limits. Made me wonder, why did they call it the living room if it's off limits? I never won that argument with my mother. I went into the living room. I didn't know what I felt except anger. I didn't know what I felt except shame and fear. My father walked into the room. I knew he would punish me for bringing shame on our family. He had the 16-millimeter film projector with him, and he set it on the coffee table. He threaded the film, flipped the silver switch, and on the living room wall was Martin Luther King Jr. delivering his I Have a Dream speech, the same one we watched earlier We watched it in its entirety, and no one spoke a word. I just watched the wall, and Martin King and my father kept watching me, never taking his eyes off of me. And we he watched it three times in succession, never speaking a word. And after the third time, he packed up the projector and left the room. And as I sat there, I realized that I was no longer afraid. Somehow, miraculously, I was no longer ashamed. I no longer felt any hatred in my heart. And I remembered what Hattie Lawrence said. Boy, it's so good to hear those words again. You just keep going, boy. Don't you stop now. And I realized it wasn't the great oratory of a 12-year-old boy that caused the Negro audience to rise to their feet and applaud. It was the certain key words like justice and and freedom that, that caused the people who were desperate for freedom and justice to rise to their feet and applaud this horrible little 12-year-old boy, and I remember being 12 and bouncing up and down on my bed wearing nothing but my underwear saying, I have a dream! And I know that's why I'm here today. Words matter. Imagine, if you will, being back in the time, back in the days of Martin Luther King Jr. He was in Montgomery, Alabama when Rosa Parks was arrested, and they wanted him to be the leader of their new group. And Martin said, no, I won't be your leader. And he wrote this letter to tell them, no, he wouldn't be their leader. And when he went up front to tell them he wouldn't be their leader, this is what he said. You know, my friends, there comes a time when people get tired, tired of being trampled over by the iron feet of oppression. There comes a time, my friends, when people get tired of being flung across the abyss of humiliation, 
where they experience the bleakness of nagging despair, there comes a time when people get tired of being pushed out of the glittering sunlight of life's July and left standing amidst the piercing chill of an alpine November. And so we're here this evening because we're tired. We're tired now. And so as we sit and stand here this evening and as we prepare ourselves for what lies ahead, let us go out with the grim and bold determination that we are going to work together. We are going to stick together right here in Montgomery. And when the history books are written in the future, somebody will have to say, there lived a race of people, a black people, fleecy locks and black complexion who had the moral courage to stand up for their rights. And we are not wrong. We're not wrong in what we're doing. If we're wrong, the Supreme Court of this nation is wrong. If we are wrong, the Constitution of the United States is wrong. If we are wrong, God Almighty is wrong. If we are wrong, Jesus of Nazareth was merely a utopian dreamer and never came down to earth. If we are wrong, justice is a lie. We are determined to work and fight until justice runs down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. So you tell Montgomery they can keep on shooting and I'm going to stand up to them. You tell them they can keep on bombing and I'm going to stand up to them if I have to die. If I have to die tomorrow morning, I will die happy because I've been to the mountaintop and I've seen the promised land and we are going to have it here in Montgomery. Lord, I pray no one would have to die because of our struggle in Montgomery, our struggle for freedom. But if anyone has to die, Lord, let it be me. God, give us strength of body to remain nonviolent even though we face death. Even though we face death, amen. And all of this from a man who was prepared to say no. His plan was to say no. His written speech was to say no, but something happened. You know, Martin King was arrested hundreds of times for openly breaking unjust laws. There was one thing that stays with me. I'll share that with you, and I will conclude. I always wanted to know, what, what did Martin Luther King Jr. have to say to children? They didn't bring all of this on themselves. And so I was desperate to know. And I found, I found these words, and they, they really meant something to me because he was talking to children around my age, I remember those little children in Birmingham who died in the Birmingham bomb blast. And I remember telling my mother I would never go back to church again because they blew up Negro children. I lost that argument, too. <laughs> I remember her sending me out to a peach tree to get some limbs to, uh, so she could instruct me <laughs> on obedience. I found these words. I want young men and young women who are not alive today but who will be born into this world with new privileges and new opportunities. I want them to know and see that these privileges and opportunities did not come without someone suffering 
and sacrificing for them. Young people, you must skillfully and intellectually prepare yourselves to live in an integrated society. Whatever you choose to do in your life's work, do it as if God Almighty called you to do it, no matter how small it may happen to be. You must do an ordinary job in an extraordinary way because we've come a long way. But we still have a long, long way to go. And so, young people, if it should fall your lot to sweep streets, sweep them like Michelangelo painted pictures, like Shakespeare wrote poetry, like Beethoven composed music. If you can't be a pine on top of the hill, just be a scrub in the valley, but be the best little scrub on the side of the hill. And if you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl. If you can't crawl, just inch your way along. But by all means, keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving. Thank you. That was Barry Scott sharing about his story. Make sure to check out the video course about John Mark Hicks's story that we mentioned at the beginning of this episode. And sign up a group of guys that you know to go through this material together so that you can have a guide as you share your stories together about grief and suffering or perhaps preparing for grief or suffering. Go to himpublications.com slash NCS. Until next time.